children kindergarten through fifth grade can be uh, go to children's church at the back double doors my left your right as they go to worship together and learn bible stories together and the rest of us need to turn in our copies of god's word daniel chapter 4 and verse 24 is where we will be reading from today Daniel 4, verse 24, is where we will be reading from today. We're just a reminder that we are going through the series of how to thrive in Babylon, how to live in a day that is far from Christ, in a world, in a culture far from Christ. And one of the things that we need to guard our hearts from is that we need to watch our hearts from pride, because if we live pridefully, if we, if we do things pridefully, it will keep us from having a voice in this culture. It will keep us from having a voice within uh, even our church family because uh, it ruins relationships and ruins relationships within the church and at home and at workplace. Pride is something we always need to be checking ourselves on. Today we're going to read the story, the end story of Nebuchadnezzar and how he falls from his great height of success and how it teaches us to guard our hearts from pride. So in verse 24, let's begin reading there, and we'll read to the end of the chapter to hear this story of Nebuchadnezzar at the end of his reign. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the sentence of the Most High that has been passed against my Lord the King. You'll be driven away from people to live with wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men and he gives it to anyone he wants. As for the command to leave the tree, tree stumps with its roots your, ki- roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, and at the end of 12 months, As he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the great I have built by my vast power to be my royal residence and to display my majestic glory? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from your people to live with the wild animals, and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the kingdom of men, and he gives it to anyone he wants. At that moment, the sentence against Nebuchadnezzar was executed. He was driven away from people. He ate like grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. At the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up in heaven, and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and He does what He wants with the army of heaven, the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for my, and for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was reestablished over my kingdom and even more greatness came to be. 
Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the King of heaven, because all his works are true, and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Let us pray. God, we ask you this morning, as we have come to your word, rid our hearts of the pride that would be to come to your word and seek truth and knowledge. Rid ourselves and our hearts from a an understanding that is apart from you. Rid our hearts and minds of a way that would cloud us to allow you to speak into our hearts today. May your spirit reign. May it speak clearly and boldly and help us to change to be more like your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, tonight there will be great celebration. There will be great awards. There will be great pomp and circumstance. And there will be great awards given to great achievements and the arts of theatrical movies. Tonight is Oscar night. And uh, all night long, there's going to be people celebrating their their accomplishments. You know what's funny in this time or season that they call the award season? That uh, even within celebrating the achievement, it has moved to a new level of claiming someone's greatness. It's a, not only just saying, oh, I've done something well, but now I'm using this time for awards to make even more of myself and make even more of a name for myself. Think about this. What is everybody going to be talking about tomorrow? Their speech, right? Who had the most emotional speech? Who had the funniest speech? Who had the most political speech? All of this and someone making a name for themselves has now found the art of making even more name for themselves. But you know what? Here's the thing. You know, celebrities aren't the only ones that struggle with pride. All of us need to guard our hearts from pride. And especially if we want to speak into a culture that is far from God, or if we want to restore relationships in which God has given us, We need to constantly be killing pride in our hearts. You see, the reality is many of us as Christians uh, have come into a dark culture of sin and have come with an attitude of, I know better than you, and I just want to win an argument over my beliefs over your beliefs. But nowhere does the scripture say we need to argue someone into heaven. God's way is to bring salvation into man. We are trying to win hearts. And if we go into conversations or go into relationships solely for ourselves and solely with pride, the world is going to turn away, let alone in our own relationships, in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces. Pride kills and destroys relationships. So we must always be on guard with pride. Now, here's the thing. I've got a two-fold test for you this morning to see if today's sermon is for you. Two, two ways that you can find out. Okay, here we go. When you found out today's message or scripture was dealing on pride, number one, if you thought, first thing that you thought was, I wish such and such were here in the room to hear this, then this probably sermon is for you. You know, if you were thinking uh, that someone else needs to hear this more than you, your spouse or your friend or your coworker or another church member, then guess what? You're being, well, you're kind of being prideful, right? So they, this, is, this message is for you this morning. But here's something else I'll challenge you on. If you very much dislike prideful people, 
And when you walk in the room and someone's pride just irks you to no end, then this sermon is for you too. You say, well, we're not supposed to like pride. But look, if you are uneasy because this person's pride has come in uh, as all you can think about, then you're pretty prideful yourself. There's a great chapter in C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity on Pride. It is excellent. And here's one of his observances about pride. He says, I pointed out a moment ago that the more pride one had, the more one disliked pride in others. In fact, if you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take any notice of me or shove, shove their oar in or patronize me or show off? The point is that each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. It is because I wanted to be the big noise at the party that I am so annoyed someone else is being the big noise. Friends, this is a reminder to us, and it's a good thing we're all here. Because I think we all need to hear this today. We need to check pride in our hearts. Because you know what? If we walked into a room and we really cared about someone's pride, would we be angry the first thing? Is that what believers are supposed to do? Be angry? No. We're called, the Bible says, to think better of that other person. The Bible calls us to pray for that person. And chiefly of all of it, God calls us as Christians to love that person more than ourselves. So today we need to be reminded of the challenge of pride and the power of pride and that we need to kill it, not play with it and allow it to live in our lives. And so as we read this story, this end story of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, we need to be reminded there are three truths about pride here as we deal with our passage today. And the first one is this, pride drives you to deny your dependence. Pride drives you to deny your dependence. All right, here, let's catch up with what's going on in all of chapter 4. At the very beginning, we read that Nebuchadnezzar has had great success after uh, humbling himself a little bit. Uh, He humbles himself, but then he has this nightmare that's keeping himself up all night. Now, as he's got to here to chapter 4, remember in chapter 2, he said, who in all the land could ever interpret this dream Well, now he knows better. He just says, hey, somebody send Daniel because I know he'll get this done. So in chapter 4, we read he sends out Daniel. And he tells Daniel about this nightmare that he's having. And King Nebuchadnezzar tells him this dream. And in verse 18, there's a great sentence there. It says, Daniel stands stunned before the king. Now, when he stands stunned, it's not that he doesn't know how to interpret the dream. It's just that he knows how bad the interpretation is, that he doesn't want to be the one that delivers the hard truth. And so he tries to soften it. It's great. There in verse 19, he says, Oh, king, may this be true about your enemies and not be true about you. And then he goes on to say, This dream's all about you, King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he tried to soften the blow a little bit. But here's the interpretation of the dream, that there was this great big tree and the the tree can be shown from all over the land and people can see it but a one from heaven comes and chops it down and takes it all the way down to a stump 
And it says that, that the stump would remain because it would, his rule or his kingdom would be returned when he acknowledges that God is the one over all mankind. But he says you will be put out like an animal away and you will lose all your power and your, all your authority. And this is just, so he gives them this interpretation. And then we come to verse 30. Verse 30. It says in verse 30 that only 12 months later after Daniel says, Daniel says, please, King Nebuchadnezzar, repent and do what's right. Do not uh, continue in your pride. Turn to God, and maybe this will go away from you. But in verse 30, the king, after just 12 months after this happened, he says, he's just walking on his rooftop, and he says, is this not Babylon the great that I have built with my vast power to be a royal residence and to display my majestic glory? Isn't that what he's doing? He's going around just like some of the celebrities will do around. Look at this great thing that I have done for myself. Look at this great thing that I'm all about. King Nebuchadnezzar says, look at this great kingdom that I have established. Now, let's wait for a second because someone here might be saying, well, is that really a bad thing he's doing? Is he really saying that what he's done is a, is a good thing? Because if you know history, King Nebuchadnezzar was a conquering king. He was not an armchair general that sat back at the, at the palace and told his men to go conquer the land. He was in the front. He was at the chariot in the front line, and he was known to be a mighty warrior. And so here, King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, I have built a great kingdom for myself. I have established much. I have brought much victory. Look at this great thing. Now, just think about this. Did he really asking this thing? Is this so bad? Is this so bad saying, well, look at this great kingdom that I've made for myself? Well, let me just pose this as a question to you. What if Ryan was over here and Ryan penned this great song, this great worship song, and he, uh, he had made it up and uh, he, he had it sitting over here on the music stand he'd just finished. And I walked over here and I signed written by Sean Dobbins on the, on, the, on the front of it. And man, it was presented and people were like weeping and this was like the most beautiful, it was like angels singing every time you heard it and people were just so, like, this was the most beautiful song. And they said, Pastor, we know you're the most handsome pastor in all the land and we know that you're the greatest preacher in the land and now you're the greatest composer in the land. I can't even imagine. What a great thing that you are that you've composed this great thing. Now you would be pretty upset with me, right? If, if you'd found out that Ryan wrote it. Why? Because I had stolen what he deserved. I'd have robbed him his due. I'd have wrested from him the control of his art because artists own their art. And for me to go and say that, that I did this or that I did it is to take control over it. But friends, that's the first thing about pride. It drives us to deny our dependence on God. See, pride is a failure to admit our dependence on God in giving Him His proper glory and His work in our life. Because we have to admit God is the author of everything. God has done everything in our lives. And for us to admit that, it goes against how we feel in our flesh. We, when we admit that, that we're totally dependent on God, if He's the author, if He's the author, then we've lost total control, and we don't like that. Pride is the first thing that it draws in our hearts is to say, 
that's by me. I did that. I accomplished that. Well, you might be sitting here saying, well, yeah, I did accomplish that. I worked harder than everyone else. Uh, I, was, I was more uh, ethical than anyone else. I, I, I did all this by myself. This is by my own sweat of my brow. Well, listen to the warning of Paul in 1 Corinthians when he says, For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you haven't received it? Look, here's a reminder to us. If you are so self-made, how much of your life is in your control? Did you choose the country that you were born into? Did you control what race you were born into? Did you control in which parents you were born to? In which century? What if you were born in the, fourth century, uh, the 14th century uh, with a bubonic plague? I mean, your life might have been uh, just a, a fraction of what it is now. You say, well, I worked hard. Well, what did you work hard with? Well, I worked hard with my mind. I worked hard with my talents. I worked hard with my abilities. Well, friends, how much of that can you take account for? Did you choose the parents in which you were born to? Did you, did you choose the friendships that you were raised up with? Did you choose uh, the uh, childhood experiences and the friendships that were so informative to you when you were young that, that you grew up into the person and the place that you are? Did you even choose your basic abilities? Did you say, okay, uh, I think I'm going to be good at reading, and I'm going, to be, hmm, I'm going to be good at math, and I'm going to be good at seeing. That's what I want to be with my life. Did you choose those? No. Friends, everything you are and everything you've done is dependent solely on God himself. And for us to say that any part of our lives, in any part of our work, has anything to do with us is admitting pride and that we can't depend on God for anything. So the step one in killing our pride is to admit that God has all the glory in what you do, all the glory in what you've received. Admit his grace and his ability, whether you're an athlete or a musician, a parent or a worker or a student, all things have been given to you in Christ. And therefore, how dare us to say that we aren't dependent upon God? We need to guard our hearts because every day our flesh is saying, you need to take credit for your life. But the scriptures tell us that we need to live thankful to God and make ourselves less in our own story and be reminded how much the author has to do with what we do have in our life. Secondly, pride makes you act like an animal in relating to others. Pride makes you act like an animal in relating to others. Verse 33. At that moment, the sentence against Nebuchadnezzar was executed. He was driven away from people and he ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So the dream came true. King Nebuchadnezzar did not humble himself. Instead, he admittedly said that I have built my whole kingdom. I have nothing to do with God, and God has had nothing to do with my success. And as soon as that came out of his mouth, Nebuchadnezzar was what? Ostracized. He was thrown out. He was taken off the throne. He, he went out and had to 
he was so poor, had nothing. He was eating the grass, and, and because he was unkempt and had nowhere to live and no, way, no one to take care of himself, his hair was growing, and, and, and it, looked, it said it looked like eagle's feathers. I mean, I don't have this problem, but if you have a lot of hair and, you know, if you haven't taken care of it, you know, it can get unkempt and, and, and not look good. And so can you imagine what King Nebuchadnezzar looked like? Now, for us, we'd say, well, I don't think I have to be concerned about being thrown and look like a, an eagle or an animal. But pride always leads to isolation. And pride destroys our relationships. And this is why in today's culture, we have to have a voice and always check our pride. Because we can't argue people to Jesus. We have to share the gospel and let God do a work in their heart. But pride destroys relationship and kills uh, our opportunities to share the gospel. Why? Well, James tells us. James chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of wars and conflicts among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are within you? You desire and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, you do not have because you do not ask, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. So friends, if we don't keep our pride in check, it drives us to isolation and in our relationships, we act like animals. How do we do that? Well, number one, our pride makes us look like an animal when we're unable to empathize with people. Now, we had a cat one time in my life. It's the dark days of my life is what I call it because I don't, I don't like cats so much. And you might like cats, and good for you. Uh, but um, I don't like cats. But anyways, I have nightmares because that cat chased me all over my house. But anyways, uh, I was laying there one time on the sofa, and the cat came up and uh, just started to nuzzle my hand. And... Um, I was like, well, maybe I've given this cat, a, you know, never given this cat a chance. Look, it loves me. It cares for me. Look, it's just nuzzling up to my hand. And I stood up, and it ran over to its food bowl. You know what it wanted? It wanted food. It didn't care about me. It was just saying, hey, I want something to eat. Would you get up? You see, that's how we act like animals. We cannot empathize with people when all we do is think about ourselves. We don't know how people are feeling because we're framing everything in the way that the world comes to us. So when the Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice and, and weep with those who weep, pride keeps us from doing that because we're framing everything in how it looks on us, how we feel, what it means for me. And pride keeps us from truly loving and caring for others' feelings. We also act like animals when, uh, when uh, pride drives us because we have uh, to ego with survival instincts. I mean, out in the wild, I mean, Franklin's been watching this, you know, great animal fight movie uh, show on TV lately, and so we're watching these animal fights, and man, they go after it. Strongest survives, right? Whoever, whoever's the strongest wins, and whether it's food or the girl, these people fight, these animals fight to win. Well, don't we do that when we fight to win arguments? 
Don't we fight to win so that we can make ourselves better than the others? When we're in conversation with each other and someone tells a story and then we follow it up with another story to be better and grander than them in the story so that we don't look less or we feel more accepted. Or possibly even within the family of faith. You know, the Bible tells us that we should make sure that we care for one another, that we should put our preferences about, uh, aside for the sake of others. And how much more in the family of faith are we to be kind and humble? The Bible tells us that we have a disagreement, that we're to go to that person and deal with that issue right away. But what does pride tell us to do? speak louder because the louder person seems right or even more or less spiritual we go around to get everybody else to agree with our position so we have a gang to to, to fight for our preference for us now isn't that prideful isn't that survival instincts look brothers and sisters if we know the Bible has given us a clear direction in how to treat one another, and pride is not going around and speaking loud behind each other's backs, but instead going to one another, setting aside our preference for the sake of each other, and praying for our brothers and sisters all the way through it. Which reminds us of another thing that pride makes us like an animal. Is animals aren't naturally obedient and you know, pride makes us not obedient to God and his word. I mean, the reason we don't let wild animals into our house is because they're untamed. They will not listen. I mean, you're not going to be saying here, oh, little raccoon I found in the backyard. Come on in the house and hang out a little bit. Everything's going to be fine. No, because why? What's going to happen with the raccoon? He's going to be up on the, uh, on the curtains and the curtain rod, and you're going to say, get down, get down. And the raccoon's going to look at you and say in raccoon back, you're crazy, I'm not listening to you. They're not, they just aren't obedient. Some of you who deal with horses and, and train horses, they don't immediately do exactly what you call them to do that works, takes in time and effort and obedience. In the same way, pride causes us to reject correction and direction from the Lord. Because think about this. Think about how high and mighty and prideful it is that even in our religion and spirituality that we'll come in and come to the God of the universe and say, huh, I'll take this all into account and I'll figure out what I think about it. Or we go to a scripture that is clearly says that we should do this and you can say, well, you know what? This is very interesting. I'm going to think about this and decide if I want to follow this. Friends, if God is the author of the universe, we have no space to say what we think about it. And the reality is pride gets in our way, even of our spiritual relationship with God. So we must be guardful because we act like animals, because we drive ourselves into isolation, both in relationships uh, with people in our lives, at school, or at home, or in the church, and it drives us away from God. Because the Bible says God resists the proud. Friends, we need to kill pride in our relationships Put, by putting others first, by thinking better of others before ourselves, by setting aside our preferences and, uh, and put others before ours, and to submit to God in all matters. We need to rightfully and continually 
kill pride in our lives. And finally, pride is receiving the gift of God's grace. Pride is receiving the gift of God's grace. Let's just see what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 34, it says, But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He, uh, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and inhabitants of the earth. There is no one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? The verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because all his works are true and his ways are just. It is also, he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Friends, the final thing that pride does to our heart is that we look around and we start saying, I deserve this. I deserve this. There's a deep sense of owedness in our lives. There's a deep sense of I am owed these things and therefore I must have these things. But the truth that we find is that pride is receiving the gift of God's grace. Nebuchadnezzar can now proclaim God and his glorified kingdom because he says in verse 35, there is no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? What is Nebuchadnezzar saying here? This is full admittance that only God has the right and the ability and the way to work in our lives. It is full admittance by only the hand and grace of God that we can stand or do anything. It is saying not by God's hand that I can say that God is doing 10% and I'm doing 90%. He's saying, no, by all of God's hands, I'm doing these matters. So whether we think well of ourselves in our leadership at work or whether we're real good at school or whether we're an athlete or a parent or a, a husband or whatever, the reality is Everything that we do good is by his hand. And the reality is that we must say this. The question is not to be that I deserve this. But the question is, how do I deserve anything good? Because in our reality, we deserve death, sin, and hell and destruction. And even if you're an unbeliever here today and you say, well, well, you know, I still get good things. I don't need to really have faith in God. Look, if God was truly uh, not withholding his judgment on all of mankind, we would be wiped off the planet. The reality for us is that we must understand that when we boast in our abilities, our job, our parenting skills, instead of saying glory to us, we should be saying glory to God alone. If you want to kill pride, remind yourself. That it is by grace alone that God has saved you. And that it is only by his work that we have any right to stand by any stretch. Romans 3, 23 reminds us of this. We might have memorized this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But don't stop there. Verse 24. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. Who? These same people who are who are dead in their sins or have all fallen short of the glory of God. 
Verse 25, God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Friends, Here's a reminder today, if we want to kill pride, as we are deeply and quickly and often remind ourselves, it is by grace we have been saved by faith. Because today, you might be sitting here today, and you might be a non-believer, you might think, you know what, Pastor, pride has taken me down a path that I'm not sure any of my relationships can be salvaged. You know, pride has been so active in my heart. I don't know any relationship that can be restored, even that with God. Well, I hope that you don't leave here feeling defeated that way. Because you need to hear this. God says that if you repent and trust in Jesus for your salvation, you can be forgiven and restored back to God. If you humbly come to him and ask God to do what only God can do is save your heart, then all of your sins, all of your pride is wiped away. For those of us, we are reminded daily that if our pride is creeping up and our flesh is taking control, we need to remind ourselves of the cross. We need to remind ourselves God shows no partiality. Our sin is as deep as anyone, and therefore Christ has died for us. And if that is true for us, then we have no right to look down on anyone. And the reality is, is that all of our lives, in in all of our lives, we are reminded that it is not by our hand, it is by his hand, and especially in our salvation. Listen, just a few minutes ago, I did not hear any one of you say, Jesus paid it half. Or Jesus paid it three quarters. What did we sing? Jesus paid it all. We come to the cross with nothing in our hands. We come to God the Father with only by what Jesus has done. And therefore, by grace, we are saved through faith. And when we constantly remind ourselves of this, it kills pride. Those of us who are wrestling in our pride every day, let us remind ourselves of this. If Jesus loves us and took on the form of a servant, then we must set aside our preferences for others. We need to kill pride with the grace gift of God, but remember that all things are a gift and we are owed nothing because what we deserve is not what we want. 2010, a man in China, his name was uh, Xiao Chen, he was going to go swimming late at night in the Changji River. And he started to walk into the river, and on his way there, he was just, just a few feet from the shore, he was in silt. And he immediately started to sink down in it. Well, what happened was the more he started to struggle, the more he sank down, the more he got pulled under. Now, here's the funny thing. Uh, Zhang was in the river, and he was there for four 
hours before he called for help. In his coat pocket the whole time was a waterproof cell phone wrapped up. And all he had to do was call for help, but he was too embarrassed to call for help. So he finally called. So this is what happened. The firefighters show up. They realize he's in silt. And they realize that if they go in there with all their gear on or their clothes, that silt is actually going to roll up inside their shoes and in their clothing. And so you know what all of them, there's a picture in this and you can look it up. All of the firefighters in the river trying to help him, they're just down to their underwear. Because they know if they go in there and they wear their clothes, they're going to get pulled under. So they go to Shane and they say, hey, look, brother, look, if you take these pants off, if you slip out of your pants, we'll actually be able to pop you right out of there and we'll get you to shore. He said, no, I'm not going to be embarrassed like that. For seven hours, they worked on him to get him out of the river. And if he would have just taken his pants off, he would have been out. How much more freedom would we have if we killed pride in our lives? How much more freedom would we have in our relationships? How much more freedom would we have to follow God as we resist the pride in our hearts? Friends, the Bible tells us to kill pride in our lives. If you're here and you don't know salvation through Christ alone, hear this. It is a gift of God that you just accept. Don't let pride keep you from the work of Christ in your heart. But if you are here and you are a believer, trust God daily. Admit that you deserve nothing, no glory, and guard yourselves from pride. I have a friend that says this. He says, come check me all the time on my pride and my prayerfulness. He said, well, no, I'm not struggling with pride that I know of right now. But if I'm not careful with my pride, any success is a temptation to pride. And prayerlessness is the gateway to get there. So please be always checking me on my prayerfulness. Friends, are we admitting and do we know that we need to kill pride in our lives? Let's pray. God, we ask